This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. Takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Okay, hello and welcome to another episode of the E-Woman Week here at uh, the carousel. And this is our last episode for this week. And we have with us Gwen Canson. Welcome, Gwen. Hi, Isaac. Hi. Uh, so Gwen is a writer, just wrote a very good piece, actually, that I just read that I really enjoyed uh, in Hobart Pulp, which is a literary magazine, uh, New York kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so how long have you been a writer, Gwen? Um, uh, like a little over 10 years. Nice. Under this under this name. I wrote a couple pieces before that under other names. Sorry, I got a um but I started using this. Uh the first piece I wrote was um I think it was for the frisky, something about your friend with autism, ten things that your friend with autism wants you to know. Or maybe maybe not. Right. So you are a certified person with autism. Yeah card carrying member of the of the team yeah yeah so and that was when you were 13 that you got that that was a diagnosed as mm -hmm. so what how did that happen if you don't mind me asking i mean i actually want to talk about this piece i don't want to just talk about autism the entire time but uh i but like how did that happen how did that come about well i mean we were looking for someone to um give a diagnosis because a lot of kids with autism I mean th this was a long time ago uh this was back in 2000 but get diagnosed with like OCD ADHD schizoid uh, I'm not a schizoid but it's supposed to be if you're asocial um but then we had to find a specialist who specialized in autism, but it would be easier now, I think. And we, we also like, I didn't grow up in New York. We lived in Baltimore. Okay. And so what happened? Um, well, I got the diagnosis. Um, it was at Shepherd Pratt. Uh, I wasn't like an inpatient. We found like a specialist, but I, I don't really know. I don't know how my mother knew to look for him. I, I don't know. So what kind of test? It didn't really change anything. Like the diagnosis, I didn't get anything. Like I didn't get any help. It's just, oh, like, you know. How did the test go? I don't remember. Like I was 13. I don't remember. I know that when I was 28, I went back to, um, I went back to get a, another opinion just to see what the test would be like. And it was designed for kids. It, it seems like it was. 
like they showed me a picture book and they asked me what was happening and how does this person feel in the picture book Real. and then um yeah yeah like um how does this person feel she pointed at, at um and then she, i think she was surprised when i looked at her screensaver on her computer and said oh is that your family like i wasn't supposed to notice that and know to ask hmm very interesting you know um uh, interestingly I used to host another podcast called Not a Huge Fan. And my host was this very difficult guy named Charles Disney. And after we finished hosting it together, he like posted on social media like a year ago, like I got an official autism diagnosis, like same thing. But he was like an adult. He was like not 13. Like he was like full on adult. Is that pretty common? Yeah, a lot of people get diagnosed as adults, women especially, but but men too. And some of them say that they feel relief. I don't know. I, I don't remember feeling relief. I just remember being told. I went to like a special school, but it was for... um all like issues like a lot of like behavioral like bipolar like there was some autism but it was kind of like just a bunch of kids and a lot of them had really bad like home lives too yeah so i didn't really get any kind of special help there either just a bunch of screwed up kids right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you got you have to be like one of the most high functioning autistic people like ever, right? I mean, like there's also that guy Tao Lin, isn't he also autistic and he like talks about it and I don't know. I, I read his piece about curing autism by exposure. Oh but, yeah. I mean that's the more exposure you get to people, the more you learn. We don't learn fast, but we do. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have I don't know. What did he say about exposure? Like, what does that mean? I actually didn't read the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, just, just exposing yourself to people. I think I got, I saw something about that. So you learn. Yeah, right, right. Well, um, so like when you are a person with autism, what is different like when you're looking at the, the person's emotions you're supposed to see like what are you not seeing you know what i mean like if that's how they're diagnosing it like i didn't know that that's how they diagnosed it so i'm just curious like what what answer are they looking for versus you know what answer are they expecting you know you know what i mean I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I gave the right answer, I, I think. But I know that I miss things. And the reason I know I miss things is because someone will tell me that I missed something. Otherwise, I wouldn't know. But right. yeah. what I experience is more about how people treat us. Oh, what do you mean by that? Like, you get excluded from stuff. Like... Uh. Most people aren't mean as adults, but like, you'll notice that everyone's hanging out without you. Yeah. 
And you'll only know because like your friend will, will tell you. Like my closest friends um doesn't have autism. She has some other issues, but not not autism. So yeah. I've learned a lot of things from her. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so but but is that you think they're oh well whatever. We don't even need to get into all this. You and I met uh when we were in vibe camp <laughs> oh my god i read your beats yeah <laughs> you, you were and, vibe camp. and uh and then we went and hung out in dc with like a group together which was fun um yeah and uh i wouldn't have known you were autistic honestly at all i i i thought the only thing uh if you don't mind me saying that it the literally the only thing like you didn't seem autistic but the, there was just like a little bit of like a sometimes like I would ask you something and not always, but only sometimes. And it would be like, I wasn't sure if you heard me or not, you know, mm. that would be the only That's, thing. Yeah. 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 Like, I couldn't tell if you were thinking about it or if you just didn't hear me at all. <laughs> you know, no, I but... probably didn't hear you or I was, I was listening or I was thinking, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you I had some me at a good time before. and good yeah. mood, so I would be less. Yeah, like mood plays into it too. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Well, that's what this great piece you wrote, which is actually very good. It's it's a it's really a great piece. I would suggest people read read it. It's sort of I, the only thing. It's like kind of like about some of your dating history and stuff. And uh sometimes you're having a really good time it's about like a lot of drugs and stuff it's called how a would-be incel taught me that people can change which is kind of like that sort of sells the piece short because really it's about like more than that really um so yeah what is this piece about like what were you going for here how did this come up uh well i wrote about a proud boy and what he was thinking no, but this wasn't so, this wasn't the proud boy. No, but this was like uh he's not an incel because then it wouldn't be a dating it wouldn't be a story if he wasn't an incel. Yeah. So but this was someone who thought that he could have been an incel. Yeah. So it's supposed to be like inspirational. But I yeah, the reception I get is that it's more about me. Yeah, it's really not about him that much, you know? It's really more, like, about, you know, you, I feel like. This is just sort of like a a few moments in time of your, you know, like, of your life, kind of. Yeah. Uh, well, wait, so, but this is a different piece. Your, your, your Proud Boy piece, that was a whole different thing, right? Was that also a yeah. You froze. Wait, it was that also Bert, uh, Hobart Pulp? No, no, no. That was the American Conservative. Okay. So to, what was the, tell us the Proud Boy story. Uh, that was like years ago now. Uh, <laughs> that was, um, yeah, I met this guy in a bar. I wasn't looking for him. Someone asked if I was looking for him and that, no. Uh, 
and he told me he was a proud boy like 45 minutes into the conversation i'm like okay <laughs> i mean i knew who they were like I, i'd followed base stuff for a while I'm like well this is exciting and i was wondering why he was a proud boy what the proud boys are like what they were thinking so that's why i wrote that but it was also kind of like oh you know sexual like the sexual revolution is bad and he seemed to believe it like i think he was he was sincere and okay. his heart was in the right place i think do you think that so you have this great quote from this piece i i just want to read these paragraphs cuz we're now talking about them you say this i'm i'm going to read from the piece uh, this is not the Proud Boy piece. This is the most recent piece I was just talking about in the Hobart Pulp. So it says, I've been around incels my whole life. My autism group is full of them. Men who never launched, they hang around, they hang out in dark corners of the internet where guys with usernames like grotesque and subhuman talk about chads and cucks and looks maxing. That's in contrast with socially awkward women who have trust issues because we've used, we'd used our sexuality to talk to more interesting people than the nerds we made friends with naturally. So that's interesting already, but I'm going to read the second paragraph. I started reading red pill blogs in college because they were the only contemporary literature I could find that explained why every girl in school was in love with the same 15 douchebags. The blunt, uh, statistic heavy style of writing was comforting to me. I grew up in a family that doesn't mince words. I'd assumed incels and red pillars were natural allies, but an incel on Twitter told me there's a rift. The red pill is profitable because it leads men to believe they can change. You can't sell the black pill. It's over. <laughs> really, really good. Really, really, really good writing and, and just great like subcultural, you know, exploration. So, uh, you know, like you're talking here about being into the base stuff, which you which you just said. But what really interests me about this is you saying we have trust issues because we'd used our sexuality to talk to more interesting people than the nerds we made friends with naturally. What do you mean by that? Well, I didn't want to be resigned to nerds forever. <laughs> um. I don't know, like, especially like young, young women get a lot of attention, no matter how you're like, I mean, if you're attractive enough, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to be like, but you you know, um, I still usually went out with like weird guys or nerdy guys. Like I didn't get like the jocks or whatever, you know, but I would hang out with like nerds and the guys I would date might be like a little better than nerds. Sometimes. Like the date the dates would be like above the friends for the most part. Wait, wait, what does that mean? What do, mean date, what do you mean the dates would be about the friends? Would be like I, I don't know, this sounds mean. Like I'm not I'm not a mean person. But like I'd go out with like I don't know. Here's an example. Like in college, I went out with like, he was a nerd, but he was like the cool nerd. He was like the king nerd. King like, nerd. all right, I can get the king nerd. Like, I don't have to hang out with like, you know, because 
autistic women socially, you might be like an incel. Like the level of the way incels relate to men, the women would be like the incels of like female social, not always. I mean, there were always like some women who would accept me. But like, I mean, if I were a guy, I don't think I would have as much access to people as I have as a woman. No, well, definitely not, right? So, I mean, so it's, far. It's good that you're smart enough to, I mean, not smart enough, but it's good that you, I think most women in the world don't understand that, like literally. I, I think that in my experiences with average normie women, they don't understand what you're saying. They, they, they don't think... Oh, people, this is like a smart girl thing. Like the smarter the girl, the more they are aware of the sexual dynamics. Whereas girls who aren't smart, they just don't think about it. You know, they don't think, oh, my professor is being nice to me because he wants to bang me. You know, they think my oh, professor What? They uh, think I had my the professor's opportunity, being nice I didn't take it. <laughs> Wait, what? Sorry, go ahead, what? My professor tried to bang me. I didn't, really? but yeah, he tried, yeah. How did he was really old. I thought he was in his fifties, and I found out he was in the sixties. I'm like, damn! Uh, and sixty-year-old professor tried to bang you. How did he do that? He Good called Lord. like. Still he called me like a week after graduation and invited me to come read passages of books with him. And then wow. he started talking about his vitamins. And I'm like 23, right? I'm like, oh, vitamins, like. <laughs> 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 nice vitamins what did he mean by vitamins it just made him sound like a 23 year old listening to a 60 year old man talk about his vitamins it's not that's really old yeah but are you sure so did he actually make a move or i, I mean the move yeah he invited me to his house yeah that's definitely a move. <laughs> definitely a move. sometimes i wish i'd done it you know just yeah yeah, yeah. No, totally well, yeah, this is what I think that, again, smart women, for you always know, smart women, like, it, it get this stuff. But I think the average everyday woman, like, the average intelligence woman simply does not, they don't understand that men are, are as horny as we are. Like, like men are one million times more horny than women. And, and every, people are like, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. It is 100% true. Like you guys have no idea how it's like walking around the world being starving all the time. Like imagine being like starving and just like walking around and everywhere around you, there's just like giant cheeseburgers like floating around and you just have to like not eat the cheeseburgers. You just have to just pretend the cheeseburgers aren't there. Like that's what it's like to be a man genuinely. So, <clears throat> so like, uh, you know, just your everyday average woman just simply does not understand it. They they think that like, oh, this man's being nice to me because I'm really interesting, you know, and they just don't. Mm -hmm. Whereas smarter women like you, you know, you get like, okay, I, like this guy's talking to me for this reason. And it's, it's, yeah, it's cool that you basically say like, all right, well, I used my, you know, sexuality to like be around cooler people that, that you wanted to be around, right? That's kind of what you're saying. You were waiting for me to say that yeah that's what i was yes yeah, sorry i don't mean to be putting words in your mouth if that's not what you mean yeah you i got gotcha. you go ahead so what do, do you is do you want to explain something different 
Um, not really. <laughs> All right. Uh, so tell, tell us about the red pill. Like, you know, you have this great thing here. I know the history, but I want to hear, you know, I want to talk about it anyway. You say, you say you wanted some answers for why the girls all wanted to date the same three douchebags. So why do the girls want to date this same three douchebags? I mean, that's what it was. Like I saw these douchebags and uh, every woman was going for these douchebags. If you talk to a girl like, oh, who, who have you been dating? She'll let the name of this douchebag who you were also dating. <laughs> You're like, oh. <laughs> so why, so, but why though? Like why, why are girls, what does the red pill have to say about this? That, you know what I mean? Cause they were, I mean, I remember just cause they were confident. Like that was all it was. Like they might've been like, you know, nice looking like, usually, but like, no, I was confident. Um, the red pill would make it very scientific, which I think autistic people like. And it would assign numbers to things. You're like, oh. And the writing was really good. Like, do you remember Hartis? Yeah. Well, he so was, no. So I, yeah. I never read Hartis, but I know that that's how like, uh, most people, like all the big writers in our space, like BAP, Delicious Tacos, they all came through Hartis. I thought the writing was really good. Yeah. And the analysis was really good. And he would tie them with current events, like things he saw on TV. And I don't know. I, I saw that and I would read like the other blogs that he would link to. I'd be like, oh, oh, you know how I found it? I had this friend who was like really into ranch culture and shit. And he was in a wheelchair, but he was like mouthy and druggy and like all of that. He was fun. Um, And he's wanted he paid me to read i hope you serve beer in hell for a book report and write the book report because he was too lazy to do it himself and i'm like oh this is colorful and it was violent but it was colorful and i'm like huh so then i started getting into it i see okay right so but still what is the explanation why is it that women like the same men besides but you know you but that's like, like you're saying it's just because they were confident i mean are you asking if it's innate or if it's learned no i'm i what i'm trying to get at is isn't it about hypergamy Right. Isn't that what like the foundational sort of network? Isn't that the foundational explanation of the red pill? You want someone who's better than you? N yeah. Well, <laughs> in, or, or it's just for status, right? It's for status. Like, that's why it's the same guys. It's the same guys. Like, th th this is the... Uh, catch 22 of female attraction is that women want guys that other women want. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. it was like the same guys over and over and over. Like that, ner the nerdy guy had 
like there'd been like this hot nerdy stripper who would she hated him she was so angry at him she hated his guts and told everybody and of course all of us are like ooh, you know <laughs> yeah yeah like that well it's also like i think a lot about like rock and roll like rock and roll is such a female it's like such a female medium you know what I mean? Because it's like, like even dating back to Elvis and stuff and the Beatles, it was like that whole thing was women fainting, like in the audience, right? Like that's, it's, it, it's very much like a, like idol worship is a female instinct. And like, mm. like, uh, it's very hypergamy based. It's like everybody staring up at this one guy. Right, like that's like female sexuality. Like, that's you know, dark. Oh my god, that's dark. I'm gonna go kill myself now. <laughs> it's not bad. It's, there's nothing. It's. I don't think it's like. I mean, male sexuality is equally like animalistic, you know, in in its own ways. Can you can you tell me a little more? I can take it. What, a male sexuality? I mean, male yeah. Sexuality I, I think I can. Like, take it. Maybe men, I can. Men are like the opposite. Like we're like we want to like you know jizz on the whole crowd you know we we're like a fish we're like a fish who just wants to like jizz on endless eggs that are like on the ocean floor you know we just want to like hit all of them <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like kind of like the reverse okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's really simple like you have an idol and yeah yeah because the guy is on the stage and they're all throwing the underwear at the guy. Yeah. So he's receiving and they I got it. I got it. Yeah. 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 Women give, men receive. Well, kind of. Yeah. Sure. Sure. That's it's in a way. In a way. In when it, yeah. I don't know. Um uh so I don't know like what what else do you do? I mean, are you, do you just write all the time? I mean, like, like what do you have a job? Yeah, I'm a copywriter. So, oh, I really? But I work from this this atmosphere. This atmosphere. My apartment's really small, so this is my bed. Yeah, and um. Well, I used to hang out a lot in Bushwick, as the article talks a lot about Bushwick, social dynamics. <clears throat> and that's pretty much what they are. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, I'm kind of at a point in flux. Like, I don't really want to go, like, I don't really want to hang out in Bushwick anymore. It's very much... It is intensely animalistic, if you want to know the truth. Bushwick is the red pill in action. Like, the sleaziest red pill. Like, this... Oh, my God. Why? Like, Why? It's just totally, like... Oh, my God. You have the five douchebags, but they're just, like, smarmy and gross and, like... Not... It's, like... I don't know. I mean, I hang, I hang out there. What do you want me to say? Uh... <laughs> It's not like the top of society. It's not Manhattan. It's kind of like big fish, small pond. Yeah. So these guys can do anything that they want in that pond. You know, there are some nice people. I I went out with someone who was 
actually a guy with autism briefly, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like we clicked, but he, he was nice. So occasionally, yeah. Yeah. Is that like, possible? No, like autism on autism? Is that like, is that like, you know, like just like, no, like, you know, like there's no way in. No, no, it's, I've gone out with guys with autism before. The energy just didn't match. Yeah, okay. He was cute, and he could dance. Like, he goes out dancing a lot. That's his thing. Yeah. Is that this guy that's in the thing? No, right? In the story? Mm -mm. No, this is a different guy. Yeah. So, Bushwick. Keep going. Keep talking about Bushwick. It's just... Oh my God. People dress up. If you want to do costume parties, that's where you should go because they have a lot of those. Uh, yeah. Burning Man is a huge thing. Everybody goes to Burning Man. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like sex, drugs, like just like sex dealers, drug dealers. It's like, it's very, it's, it's, very id focused mm, and as someone who does want to have a relationship get married like i kind of i'm doubtful that that pond is like the one i want to fish in so but it was fun like my best friends and i bushwicked for a long time bushwicked what's the difference yeah. between bushwick and the rest of williamsburg I don't really know. I mean, I, I think Williamsburg is more, I think it's more refined now. I think that it people are a little older and have more money than Bushwick. Like, it seems more professional now than I think maybe 15 years ago, it was probably like Bushwick. Bushwick is like artist, artist. It's very free. It's it's very free. Like there's a lot of community housing. Yeah. None of that. So like, you know, I lived there in 2006 to 2000 or 2007 to 2009. In Bushwick? No, in Man in New York. Oh. And and I tell the story all the time and everybody swears that I'm wrong, but I know I'm not. Like when I lived there, I remember taking the L train to Brooklyn to like maybe move to Brooklyn you know and like it was Brooklyn was dead like there was no, like Williamsburg Williamsburg was not popping off like it was it was quiet like you could literally when you got off the train in in uh, Williamsburg like you could hear the different like it just sounded quiet like it was like oh it's like so much quieter here than it is in Manhattan, Manhattan because people just hadn't started taking the L train like that yet. Like it wasn't anywhere near what it is now. And I remember I had one friend, yeah, who moved to Bushwick, like, like during that time. And he was one of the first ones, like that all happened in Bushwick, like very quickly and rapidly. Like that was, that's like a very recent thing. Like Bushwick's not really like a, 
you know, like it hasn't been cool like that for a long time. I really think it's like a, a sort of a brand new uh, world over there. And yeah, it's like, all, it's very like music, grungy, grimy shit, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like mm -hmm. all these guys are probably musicians, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And other artists, yeah. And they have like, I'm, I mean, they have Mirage, they have House of Yes, but there's a lot of like dinky little like bars and stuff too. It's not like Manhattan where you have like the door and like people like people are throwing money around. It's very. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like no money, right. It's all just like grimy. Yeah. Like, yeah. But it, I, yeah, like, I was a total like Manhattan person. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. I've always been like very Bushwick. I, although my first apartment was on 10th and Hudson and it was uh, like, you know, I, I lived with my roommate who worked at Blackstone, but I worked at the DA and I don't come from money at all. So like we literally like lofted the it was a one bedroom i think we were paying like i we we were like literally paying under two thousand dollars total i think for like a one bedroom in west village and it was like a total piece of shit but it was great and we lofted the beds so we had like loft beds like on 10th and hudson and he was i you know i was working at the da so like i was just hanging out with like normal people whereas he was Blackstone so he was like suddenly hanging around with these like rich girls or like you know girls who wanted rich guys like really hot like really really hot girls who like wanted rich guys and he would bring them back into our like shitty like lofted bed like thing and they would like leave like they would just straight they up would leave. leave yeah yeah because because it was that is like so rude. yeah it, literally that happened like a couple times because they were just like fuck this like you know like you're you're gross you know damn yeah that and that's what the guy has to deal with she just walks into his place and leaves yeah dude yeah no there's there's a lot people in new york are way more like like that you know in la damn. people are like people don't act like that in la people are way way different here i mean Wait, here, you live it's in LA? About, here it's all about fame like uh in in LA, LA is like a land where fame is everything. People don't really care about money that much here. You know, I mean, like money matters a little bit, but like being being a banker in LA is like no clout at all. Nobody cares. Like if you were like worked at Goldman Sachs, people here would be like, "What?" <laughs> you know, they don't care about that. Everything here is like proximity to to like you know Hollywood fame. That's everything. Oh. Uh I read somewhere that you worked for a talent agent. Yeah, I did. did I did. When how I first, was that? When I first moved here. Um, how was that? It was, you know, crazy. Like, the, it, the guy was, uh, you know, ridiculous. He was horrible. You know what I mean? He was, like, uh, really bad. It was, you know, it, Hollywood has a depth of evil that, New York, California is like a much, much more evil, deeply evil place. What? The New York? Way, way more. New York is like, you know, New York's the old world, basically. I mean, New York is essentially like, a you know, just a European city on times 10, you know? Um, huh? 
Explain this to me. L.A. is like, like L.A. and San Francisco are like deeply dark, satanic places, you know? Like San very, Francisco? Oh, yeah, yeah. Both of them. I mean, it's very weird. It's very like odd, weird, like warped place, you know? Oh. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know different that. Vibes. I haven't. Totally different vibes. It's a much. It's a much much darker place. You know, New York. New York. You're never really like too lonely. You know, there's always stuff to do. It's a beautiful place. You're walking around. You know, you're meeting this person. They're meeting this person, and uh, there's all of these scenes that you hang out in, and you can just. You know, New York's a place you can just show up at your the bar that you go to, and you know, there's a bunch of people there. <laughs> You know, like, uh, L.A. is not like that at all. L.A. is like a very dark, private, everything's behind closed doors. There's all kinds of horrible, like, gross, predatory shit going on at all times. Um, yeah, man, it's it's a very, very dark place, L.A. You know, it's like, it's. I always tell people it's like built over, like, the gates of hell. Which is funny because actually, literally, like Aleister Crowley's Gates of Hell were like supposedly in Pasadena, which is like right here. I never read Crowley. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Should I? I don't know. I never read him either. I never read any <laughs> Crowley. Man, I, I didn't know any of that because, I mean, me and my my friend lived in London for a long time. Oh, really? And she says that London is nicer. I'm like, really? Because New York is the only really big city I've ever lived in. Like, I lived near D.C., like, in that area, Bethesda. But it it was all about, like, where you went to school and you worked for the government. And yeah. it was kind of, like, upper middle class. Yeah. Nothing too, you know. Yeah. So New York is, like, for me, it's like this. this is the biggest I've ever seen. The biggest and baddest, you know? Yeah, but New York has, like, a good feeling to it. You know what I mean? Like, it's New York is a place of, like, excitement. And, you know, it's that place that I lived in in 10th and Hudson. So there was, like, a, you know, like, fire, fire, what's it called? Fire escape balcony. And my first night there, like, the mattress was on the ground. And there was, like, a crazy party going on, like, on the rooftop just across the balcony and like i yelled over and i was like what is this and it was donna karen's like private like like uh rooftop like in the west village and they would just have parties out there and i would just we would just like sit on the fire escape and like look over and you're seeing this like lavish party like just six feet away you know, it's like New York's full of like really cool shit like that. Whereas LA is like a very dark and lonely place where, you know, there's really no, there's no like access to anything, you know, unless you really make the effort yourself, you know. Thanks for telling me that. Like, so why did now, you now I know about cities? You know, um, I live in the brownstone oh, nice. and a lot of afternoons, usually around four, I can hear um, right across the, in the place right across from me, someone 
plays the saxophone. Not every day, but at the same time. And it reminds me of, I don't know, Rear Window or something, but positive, just because these are my neighbors just right across the way. And the window, it's nice. Yeah, that is nice. Those brownstones are great. Where did you, uh, why did you live in London? Oh, no, that's my best friend lived in London. Oh, she lived in London. You didn't live there. Yeah, that was her thing. She had a her her life in London, and then she came here. I see. Yeah, I love London. Um, but the rest of Western Europe, I don't know. I gotta travel there sometime. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, who's your favorite writer? Um, I don't know. I don't read as much as I should. I used to like Daphne du Maurier. Who? Um, well, she wrote like gothic romance. Like she wrote Rebecca. It was you. You've never heard of Rebecca. I feel like I've heard of Rebecca. Did, did they make a movie out of that? Yeah, yeah, at least at least one. And they were all like some woman who's kind of fucked up, and then I guess she has a relationship with like some guy who's kind of fucked up. But Rebecca in Rebecca, it was the wife who died. Um, I forget a lot of it, and her name's Rebecca. And her like ghost spirit like rules over this the new wife's marriage with this this rich guy, so it's very gothic. And the housekeeper is was really loyal to Rebecca and encouraged the new wife to kill herself. It was just it was dark. But then we found out that Rebecca was also very dark. So I forget how it ends. And then she would write about like idle rich like slobs i guess a lot of people a lot of artists wrote about that um what else do they like jennifer high is a contemporary author and she's very different she writes about um she lives in rural pennsylvania like appalachia and she writes about that and it's very community oriented but it's very real like everything is small it's just regular people. But I think it's, I think that her stuff is cool because she puts heart into it. Um, oh my God, I read, I, I used to, <laughs> do you remember Robert Greene's book? Robert Greene? Oh, come on. you never read Robert Greene? I used to read those. Oh my God. I read the yeah, artist. You mean like 48 40. Laws of Power? Yeah, 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 I remember that. I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read a little bit of that and it was just so <laughs> gross. I couldn't take it. It was just like, ugh. You know what What's I mean? your it favorite was, book? It was too like hustle, like this is how you get ahead, you know? Like whereas I actually really liked how to win friends and influence people. Like that one for some reason felt like the less gross version of Robert Green, you know? But Robert Green <laughs> was just too much. It was like, ugh. There's too much thinking in that way. I was just not good, you know. Um, I remember there was a line though in how to win friends and influence people. They said this guy, like a boil a boil on his nose interests him more than like a hundred thousand people dying in China. Like remember that the next time you talk to somebody. 
<laughs> yeah. It's kind of dark. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about happy things. <laughs> like what? What's a ha what is happy? What can we talk about that's happy? There nothing is happy. Not the red pill. Yeah. Have you noticed these guys like they find God? Like Rushvi found God, like I yeah. know another guy who found God. As yeah, soon the as red pill like... grows, they find God later, it's true. Yeah. Why? Um, yeah. Well, I think it's because it's actually a good question. I mean, I'm a little bit like I'm I'm like kind of like a light version of one of those guys, I think, you know, because I I'm also fascinated by the red pill. I got into the whole dissident right via the red pill. I feel like everybody comes from one of two ways. Either they come from like the race realism or they come from the red pill you know it's like those are the two ways you get in um and for me it was definitely the red pill because like you it was like this is the only place that i can like read anything that's like real on gender at all you know like this is like the only thing that's like actually not total bullshit so uh like that that was why i got into it so like, yeah, I think I was, I was a guy who, you know, when I was younger, I was definitely kind of like, this is how you get girls like type of guy, you know what I mean? Like, like I was definitely like, this is how, this is how it's done boys. You know, that, that type, uh, very insufferable and like very obsessed, you know, you get kind of addicted to, um, you know, you get addicted to it. Like if you have any success with women, and you're not a good guy, like if you don't, you know, the guys who are best with women are like princes, right? They're like, they're like good looking, rich young men who are very gallant and very like, you know, they're very like nice to women, but then behind closed doors, they're banging like every girl, right? You know what I mean? Or like they, yeah, they're just very like, you know, they're like true alpha males, right? That's yeah. like a true alpha male, right? I was more like a like a little like coyote scavenger, but I had like gotten close enough to seeing like what it was really like to get girls that I could kind of like report back, you know, to other people. <laughs> And, and I feel like that that's like what a lot of these guys are, you know, that's what, like a lot of them are guys who like actually really are not super, you know, they're, they're not really naturals with women at all, but they've had like a little bit of success. So they're like really excited to tell everybody else, you know, like, oh. you know, so like, that's what I was basically. Like, I was really excited to like brag about it and like tell people about it. And, you know, I was really obsessed with it, you know, like, like Neil Strauss, you know, the game type, like that type of like obsession, you know, like I was like, like that with girls, like my, it was all like, you know, uh, like valid, like looking for validation via the, the, like, like women liking me, you know, that's, that's what it really was. Like, this means if a woman likes me, this means I'm special. Right. And, uh, you know, so like I fell for that for a while and, you know, then I, I'm different because I got together with my wife so early, you know, that like, like, How old were you? 
I was 25, you know, and she was, yeah, she was 20 years old and like, yeah, yeah. So we got together like relatively very young. So I kind of like took myself out of the, out of the equation early, but, um, yeah, I was like, I was 26, I think. And, uh, you know, like, now I'm like finding God more and more. I mean, I was always kind of spiritual and like kind of religious anyway, you know, but like without any structure to it. Whereas I definitely understand the instinct of like, when a man starts to turn later in his thirties and he's in a relationship, it's like, there is this like instinct to find God. And I think, you know what I think a lot of it is actually, uh, uh, Gwen, I think it's that like you experience enough stuff that is not explainable by like logic. You know what I mean? Like you experience so many things and you kind of like, you know, you take these arguments to their logical conclusion a lot. And when you really take things to their logical conclusion enough, you kind of end up in this space of like, like lack of wisdom, right? Like when you're younger, you think you know everything. Whereas then you get older and you're like, okay, I actually know like the, you know, the, the classic adage, like the more I, the more I experience, the less I know, you know, it's like, cause things make less and less sense. And then you start to kind of realize like, all right, well, I have a decision to make, right? I could decide to be an atheist or a realist, whatever that is, and view the world as not connected as there's no greater meaning or I could view the world as a faithful person where there is a greater connection and there is a greater meaning and there is things going on that we really can't explain, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think it's really shitty and pathetic to choose to see the world as this place without meaning or magic to it. You know, it's like, you're choosing like being an atheist is just as much of a choice as being a either one requires a leap of faith, right? Either you're having faith in nothing or you're having faith in something. And like, for me, I've just seen enough in my life. And like, I've had so many like spiritual experiences that have no explanation in reality. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, why would I not believe in something? And so I feel like, a lot of guys like me end up like realizing that. And then I think they become these kind of like religious red pill guys, you know, they also get married and they want to show their kids tradition. You know, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's like being a right wing. I feel like being right wing is like bred into you, you know, it's like, it's like something you can't even choose. It's like, you know, it's like, you don't have a choice. It's just an outlook. Um, answer your question at all. <laughs> I was going to ask long and long long. What? I was going to ask you for a specific example. A specific example of what? 
like, I don't know, something that would have a spiritual explanation. Oh, totally. So just the other, my grandfather died like three months ago or something. My, and we, my what, what? My grand, I, the only one I knew was my grandma. She died when I was 15. Yeah. So this was my last grandparent and I didn't, we didn't have a relationship. I didn't, we, we had like fallen out and, uh, you know, it's a long story, but, uh, I knew that when he died, I was gonna know it. You know, I could just tell, like, for some reason I just knew it. And of course, like <laughs> we all like knew he was kind of sick. And then I woke up like with a sudden start at like three o'clock in the morning on one night, three months ago. And I said to myself in my head, Oh, he just died. Next morning we woke up. I have a call on my phone, 6am. It's my mom. And she's like, yep, he died night. And I totally like, I swear to God, that's true. Like I didn't, I didn't make this up. I didn't like, you know, like that really did happen before that. <clears throat> like a year ago or like two years ago, <clears throat> I had this super duper vivid dream of an Asian guy jumping off a building. <laughs> like I had like this really ultra vivid dream of it. And I wrote it down on my phone. I literally wrote this down on my phone. It's still in my phone to this day. And the next day I was driving home from work and I decided for whatever dumb reason to go through Koreatown, which I never do. And this was when I worked at a different job. And I couldn't get through Koreatown. I kept getting stopped at every street by a cop. Like there were cops stopping me at every street. And I pulled over and I asked one, I said, why are you stopping? And they're like, oh, there's a jumper on a building like over here. And this was, I had dreamed about an Asian guy jumping off a building literally the night before. So anyway, look, life is full of these things. Life is full of these of these things that are just not explainable. There's a million of these things that are happening all the time. Or just probabilities, you know, something happening. Like what what are the what's the probability that this, you know, I would see this person here or I would, you know, have a dream about this person and then suddenly their name would come up. You know, I feel like those things happen all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess they happen to everybody. Yeah, it happens all the time. And people say, oh, it's just chance, but it's not. I don't believe it's just chance. I think it's obviously not just chance. It's just, you know, we have in our heads this idea that like everything has to be just chance. But what is chance? You know, I mean, that's also just a belief. It's just a it's just a belief like anything else. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think you're right about right wing being in grains. Like I was always Democrat and my parents were Democrat. Um, but I would hear the rhetoric, like the red pill, like the flavor of the rhetoric I would hear in my house growing up. So I guess I always gravitated towards like Republican men, like for, for a long time, most of them have been. So it, it did seem like an orientation. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like, I think being right wing is like similar to being gay. You know, it's basically the same. Like, it's it's not that there's no 
you know, it's not that there's no choice at all, but it's basically like a condition that you're sort of like pre, you know, like you're predisposed to this condition, you know? And it just sort of happens. You know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah. You know, like, yeah. That's cool, I guess. What about <laughs> yeah. you? Where where do you stand on religion? Uh, <laughs> Zero. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I just don't. I, I don't know. I've had the experiences like what you described, too. I've had a, a fair amount of those. Like when my grandpa died, um, I remember he died around, I just thought about him. I'm like, oh, my grandfather. And I said something about him. Like, oh, my grandfather like that or did that. And that was the time when he died. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's someone, if there's like a guy in the sky who's putting those thoughts in my head, I, I don't know. Like, what is, what is religion? Like what? What makes those things happen? What is there an entity that is doing this? Yeah, I mean, so I I would have always before before I started studying the Torah, which I started doing like a few years ago, I would have always said that, you know, oh, I don't believe in organized religion. I mean, when I was younger, I was all would have also said, oh yeah, there's no God, like you know, there's no God is something that people make up because they need it and blah blah blah. I uh. You know, when I started studying Torah, though, I, you start to like the way that it's written and the way that it's talked about really like, especially like the, the type that I do, which is like Kabbalistic and like kind of like esoteric. And like these impressions that we have about these things that you're talking about, like about these things that aren't explainable, like it provides this crazy framework that like somehow makes a ton of sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, like it really, like when you start to like study the stuff, like it really starts to, the way that organized religion like answers these questions is actually very, ah, Sorry. It's actually like very intentional. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's really hard to explain unless you've done it, but it's the same thing with Christianity. Like if you really start to get into the liturgy of Christianity, you start to see like these questions are answered kind of in, in the practice of organized religion, the practice of organized religion, basically like, tries to approach that spiritual kind of world that uh, these strange occurrences come from, right? Like, like, isn't it fucking weird that every single people on earth has a religion, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and they all involve prayer. They all involve like very similar beliefs, really. I mean, if you really think about it, they're all very, very similar. Right. So it's like 
And then why did monotheism overcome all the old religions? It's like very odd that this happened, right? So it's like once you start to actually practice the religion, you start to see like, oh, the religion is actually aware of that. Like it's not people who aren't religious. I think they view it. It's like, oh, it's this blind, you know, it's like it's actually the the acceptance of faith. All everybody who's actually religious, they know deep down that it's an uncertain condition and that their faith is a attempt to commune with this spirit world, right? And in in these acts of devotion, you are trying to like drum up a connection with that spirit world, right? And I genuinely really do believe that the more you do it, the more you actually do convene with the spirit world. Like, like genuinely, like you really do. It's like kind of like, you know, like you believe it. It's like Disney, you know, it doesn't exist unless you believe it. But it's like it really does start to, you really do start to convene with the spirit world, like for real, you know? So exciting. <laughs> All right. All right, Gwen, what, what are you, uh, what are you working on now? What can we, I, I really hope you, I wish you wrote more. You don't write enough. Um, uh, yeah, uh, well, I sent a cartoon to, to a magazine. Uh, so, so you I'm also gonna... make cartoons. Huh? You also make cartoons. Yeah, I, I draw a weird little, it, it's a collage actually. Um, it was a collage. It, the collage I used to get into fashion school. Um, so when the magazine comes out, I'll I'll post it and I'll probably be at the reading and I want to submit. Yeah, I, I want to write more. Yeah, I don't write could. unless like I'm really called to. This piece I actually I actually pitched a lot of places. Really? And Hobart took it. Yeah. I pitched it to mainstream too. Like I have been doing that. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Writing has always kind of been my thing. I, I was mainstream magazines before Proud Boy. Like I, I wrote for um Slate, Vice, uh like Central Thought Catalog. And it was mostly like autism focus. And yeah. a lot of personal essays, because they used to be in vogue. Yeah, I bet they love you writing about the uh the autism thing. What did you write for Vogue? No, not Vogue. Um, did I say Vogue? I thought you said Vogue. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, oh God, I wish. I wish. That'd be crazy. Maybe one day. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it does suck because you're going to get pigeonholed as the autism thing, of course. Yeah. Oh, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, right. It's like it's a way in, but then you're going to get stuck in there, you know, especially in this age of identity, right? I mean, all they want you, all anybody wants. Oh, we have a woman autist writing. It's amazing. You know, it's like that's what they all want, which sucks because then, you know, yeah, then you just get pigeonholed into that. And then that's who you are, you know, which isn't you're you're so much more than that, Gwen. You're so much more. <laughs> anyway all right well i'll send people to your your writing but uh do you have a website oh, or anything no i'm i'm good i'm probably gonna go hang out with some friends no website do you have a website website 
No, I yeah. used to. I'll get one back. I'll get one back. But just my Twitter, Gwen Kansen. Yeah, you're for now. I'm going to get a website. I need to get GwenKansen.com. Why did you choose Gwen Kansen as your, as your uh, sued? Uh, Gwen is my, my aunt's name. Finance? Um, huh, aunt. The fam family name, yeah. Oh, oh. Um, Kansen, I was looking for, uh, like, a Dutch name. So I just looked up surnames. Mm. Yeah. Kansen. But no, I picked this out. I picked that name out a long time ago. Nice. My, my uh, suit was Tom Lynch. With T-H-O-M. Lynch. That sounds very, I don't know, like Faulknerian, like a like a southern, southern yeah. guy. Yeah, I, I like it. Why, I don't know why I chose that. It just kind of came out. I, I I always like spelling Tom T H O M. Were you thinking of Tom York? No, I'm not. A, <laughs> I'm not a huge Tom York fan. I was into it a little. Like I wasn't like super into it. My dad I, mean, I had my Radiohead phase, just like everybody mm -hmm. else. I mean, I certainly had my my little phase of it, but uh, I was never like a big Radiohead. Like, oh, I love Radiohead. <laughs> um, anyway, all right, Gwen. Thank you so much. Thank you for being our last uh, e girl, e woman <laughs> week guest. And uh, yeah, stay in touch. I I really want to write something for the carousel. Okay. Okay. Just give, if you could give me some guidelines, that'd be good. Cause All I right. really I'll think of an idea it. for you. I think I'll think of a good idea for you. What are you doing <laughs> these days? Like, what do you like, do you still party in Brooklyn? Occasionally, but like, I, I really want to get out of that. Like, yeah. So. <laughs> well, if you, if I, I like to publish like gonzo experiences of things, like people who like uh, experience uh, stuff. Oh, you're rolling your eyes. Uh, yeah, no, nah, you want me to write? Okay, I'll write another thing about Bushwick. Oh, no, right. don't write. No, no, I'm All saying right. anything, like literally anything. Like, is it like what are people doing in New York these days? Something, you know. See, the, I find you. I'm, I'm in flux. I'm, I'm looking for new things. So maybe or then. If you, or if you have some cultural thing that you just saw, somebody just wrote. I'm, I have a girl writing. That girl Veronica is writing a thing on red eyeshadow. Uh, cause For, I, oh. yeah, I assigned her a thing on red eyeshadow. Yeah. And then I also had that girl just write a thing on, uh, the other girl, Gabby, write a thing on, uh, sexiest man in the world, but like, you know, that designation. Yeah. Did you see that? Here, I'll send it to you. You could tell totally Yeah. If, if you want me to write like some cultural. Yeah. Write some crap. cultural. Yeah. Crack. Cultural crap. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I like to write about people. Yeah, but okay, okay. Oh, I could write whatever. Write whatever. Yeah, whatever no, but I actually really do love your. Uh, I really, I actually really, really like your. You are a. Um, I say this to Ruby. Uh, I met her. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, her. Ruby. Ruby is. You can tell a writer because a writer is like a wallflower. You know, like. Uh, a writer is somebody who is an observer, right? And like, yeah. I'm most comfortable. I like, you know, I'm like a businessman now, but I'm most comfortable 
being on the outside of like a social scene looking mm-hmm. in like that's that's my most comfortable thing because i'm just like a writer by nature you know like i'm a i'm a natural like outsider but i like to like watch something from the outside you know like and i feel like you're i can tell that from your writing that you like like to like view things you know yeah so anyway all right uh i will uh yeah i'll talk to you later later Okay, bye. Bye. Wait, oop, okay, wait, bye.